It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 938 of Locked On Raptors for uh, whatever the hell day it is. Monday? Yeah, it's Monday, May the 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure to check out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network, as we have team-focused shows covering all of your favorite teams in the Big Four Sports and the NCAA. If you are curious about what your football team did during the NFL Draft over the weekend, go and listen to your Monday morning edition of your local Locked On NFL show, and uh, get the goods from the people who know your teams the best. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing we got cooking, and uh, we have shows for you for all the teams that you care about. Okay, on today's show... We are diving in to a Raptors 121-114 uh, win over the Los Angeles Lakers on Monday night, or Sunday night. I don't know what day it is anymore. It was a late game. It led into Monday morning. Either way, the Raptors were winners. Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry combined for 76 points. What? <laughs> okay. Sure. They were outstanding. Got some good bench contributions from Freddie Gillespie, Rodney Hood, DeAndre Bembry. The starting lineup outside of Siakam and Lowry did very, very little, but that was okay as the Raptors pick up the win against the Lakers team that looks uh, very, very disjointed and weird and strange and a little bit troubling. Uh, joining me now to talk about this game, our biggest takeaways, um, some of the fun little elements, Kyle Lowry, of course, doing his thing against the Lakers. It is our pal from CBC, from Complex, from all over the place. It's Big V, it's Big Lavender, it's Vivek Jacob. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much, man. Excited to talk about this Raps win because it was probably the most fun win of the season. I mean, I know that slapping the Warriors was probably up there. I'm trying to think of others. The comeback against the Wolves. I'll take the Nuggets the, win. The Nuggets, the Nuggets yeah. blowout on uh, on the all-women broadcast night's probably the number one for me still. But yeah. this was great. You're you're not wrong in saying it's at least near, near the very, very top of wins for the Raptors this season. It was uh, worth staying up until 10 o'clock to watch. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, That's for sure. <laughs> not so much the case about the with the Jazz game and the way things went. On Sunday, and we can get into the Jazz game a little bit in the final segment, um, and just sort of reflect on that. I think it was kind of the same story as a lot of these games recently, where the Raptors look good and kind of look like themselves for a long stretch, and then they come to the fourth quarter and they're freaking exhausted and they can't hang on as a team kind of bears down on them. A good team that is. Uh, the Lakers are not playing like a good team right now, Vivek, and so the Raptors were able to survive that little bit of a hairy stretch in the fourth quarter. They win it 121-114, and uh, it was lovely stuff. Vivek, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' 27th win of this here NBA season? Don't poke the bear! 
<laughs> I don't know how many times. Do not poke the bear. I repeat. You know, honestly, I'm I'm actually surprised the Raptors haven't just made a plan to just hire different people in different arenas and just have them just instigate with Kyle Lowry and just have him go off. I'm surprised that that isn't something mm-hmm. that hasn't caught on uh, to this point. Because, yeah, anytime you poke that bear, he goes off. And, yeah, this game, that was spectacular. Like, initially, I, I was a bit fearful of having to do another fourth quarter debrief of the Raptors doing great mm-hmm. things for three quarters. And then it all comes falling apart. But those shots Kyle hit in the fourth quarter, like, every time it was like, okay, Lakers have cut it. Because it was what? 17, 19 at one point, and then they cut it to 12, and you're thinking, okay, they're right here, and then Kyle just pulls up for three, and then he makes another big bucket, and it's like, okay, this mm-hmm. this is just not going to happen for the Lakers. And, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway, man. Like, obviously, shouts to Pascal. He was magnificent throughout, but Kyle, like, when, whenever you hit that red button, I mean, it's a dangerous situation for <laughs> everyone else facing him. I'm now envisioning when things are back to something close to normal and, you know, they're back playing at home and there's fans and arenas and sanitation is less of a concern. I do wonder if they'll start just like handing out like a poking device, like a a la that Friends episode where they're poking the (laughs) naked guy. Um, Just give one of those to a member of the crowd as a plant and just have him poke Kyle from, (laughs) uh, like literally poke Kyle, (laughs) just to inspire him to uh, rip the throats out of any team that, uh, that crosses him. Um, you know, usually it is someone like on the other team that pisses Kyle off. This time it was the fan, of course, and uh, you'll take it because it, it might have been a combination of the fan poking the bear and also like the jilted, you could have traded for mm. me, but you like Taylor Horton Tucker too much type of thing. Um, whatever the motivation was, or maybe it was just the fact that Kyle Lowry's awesome and there was no motivation whatsoever. It's one of the better Kyle games of the last couple of years, and there have been a lot of those, particularly last season. This is probably his best game this season, um, obviously the season high. But just in terms of like one of those games where you know Kyle's kind of taken over and it's one of those FU games, this is top of the charts, I would say, for this year. And there's just so much to like hang on to as like wonderful little elements of this game. I, I think for me... The greatest thing of this game to pull from is the two-for-one to end all two-for-ones at the end of the first half. I mean, he's made his career on knowing time and score and getting that two-for-one opportunity off, sometimes to his detriment because he'll take silly shots with 33 seconds on the clock to, you know, milk the two-for-one. But this time around, he uh, hits the three, they defend like a full possession, and then he just like takes it full court in like four seconds and scores. And uh, I think that might go down as the best Kyle Lowry two-for-one of all time in the long and glorious history of Kyle Lowry two-for-one. So we got that. And, And like... This is just why you keep Kyle Lowry. This is why everyone was so distraught at the idea of not getting to watch Kyle Lowry anymore, even when the stakes are low. And the stakes feel very low right now because of how unlikely it seems that a playoff berth is going to be. Doesn't matter. Watching a Kyle Lowry game, watching exactly one FU Kyle Lowry game is worth not trading him for some sort of poo-poo platter package, I think. And it's uh, it was just an absolute treasure to watch him just absolutely school uh, defending champion basketball team like he did. And look, the Lakers weren't exactly providing a lot of resistance. Anthony Davis was just forgetting to guard people, um, and they looked completely out of sorts and are in a bad kind of way at the moment. But 
it's still, he's it doesn't. He's still an NBA team. Like it takes a lot to put up thirty-seven and eleven on any team, and he did that wonderfully efficiently. And it's uh, you know, again, that's why you keep him. I guess the question that I've been thinking about as he's had this nice little run here in the last few games where he's looked like Kyle freaking Lowry, as I you know, we kind of have to start having the conversation. I think about this coming off season and what the plans are there it seems like there's maybe some mixed feelings among Raptors fans is that do you sign and trade him do you let him walk whatever that might be do you use the cap space that his departure would create or do you just bring him back you take the hit on cap space and you figure out other ways to improve the team and run it all back next season and if you do want him back you know what's the the number you're comfortable with if there is like a peak to what you'd be comfortable with Vivek, where are you feeling about the sort of Kyle Lowry off-season decision time that's coming? Uh, and, you know, we only have maybe seven games left of him as a member of the team. But, you know, like, how does that sort of sit with you? And what is the planning looking like in your mind as to what the Raptors should be looking to do with Kyle going forward? In my mind, I think they've just got to look to make the best move forward. And I think that's the way they approach the trade deadline. They would have looked at the Miami deal, the Philly deal the Lakers deal and said, okay, I think we can do better when the off season comes. And so what do those options entail now? It would entail possibly a sign and trade where you're able to recoup more mm-hmm. assets than what you were being offered at the trade deadline. It would entail him possibly leaving outright and signing into another team's cap space. And you try to make moves in free agency that address the needs of your team. And so you look at that as a better move. So, for example, if Miami was offering, you know, Duncan Robinson as the face of their deal at the trade deadline, if the Lakers were offering Talon Horton Tucker as the face of their deal at the deadline, but now in free agency you're able to sign, uh, I'm going to say his name for the 900th time, uh, Rashawn Holmes (laughs) plus someone else, then do you possibly look at that? as a better deal than what you would have got at the trade deadline. I would lean towards yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you also evaluate, hey, at the end of the day, is Kyle Lowry the best free agent available? And so if you're able to re-sign him, <laughs> and so if, you, if you're able to re-sign him uh, <laughs> and look at the core and say, you know, we're okay with Kyle at 36, getting another couple years out of him as, as opposed to establishing a new younger core and moving on, then that's what you have to do. So if I had to, you know, uh, look into the crystal ball and guess which one of those options is going to happen, I probably lean towards him moving on because of how much he prioritizes winning. And I think he'll understand that his window is closing in terms of winning a championship. And it's probably not realistic to expect the Raptors to be championship contenders next season. And so that's why I lean towards Mm -hmm. him moving on um, and the Raptors moving on. But I, I wouldn't close the door on a return. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm on the side of I think he's going to stay. Uh, and that the Raptors will just pay up to keep him for maybe a year, maybe two, whatever it might be. Just do the sort of balloon payments until, you know, they kind of reach their natural conclusion, I suppose. Um, just like the way the team is kind of trending right now and the way the free agent market is trending. I, I, and it, I just, it feels to me like in terms of team building, 
keeping Kyle around gives you another good player you know is on hand, another guy to help massage along Malachi Flynn and all that stuff. You have that point guard depth. You have those three point guard lineups you can go to, which we know have been a thing in the past the Raptors want to do. Obviously, you have Gary Trent as well. Like if you're going into next season with Lowry, Trent, Flynn, Van Vliet as your backcourt, that is damn good. That's a wonderful place to start. And so I think team building wise, it makes sense to bring him back especially considering I don't really know what else you're going to use that cap space on. I know you keep saying Rashawn Holmes. Um, I'll counter again with the sort of argument that I think Ken Birch kind of checks a lot of the boxes of Rashawn Holmes, although the floaters in last night's game and a couple of these games over the weekend missing, uh, you know, that shows the real distinct difference between Birch and Holmes. Um, And so if you're still on the Holmes tip, I I totally get that. But I just, I, I feel... Like there's less need to go and throw an enormous amount of cap space at a center or some other upgrade when I think the most likely avenue to improving this team is going to be through trade. And so if you keep Lowry, you get that sort of insulation again. You know, maybe a Fred Van Vliet trade comes, you know, and, and pops along in the offseason that you can't miss or you can't pass up. Or maybe once Gary Trent signed and you get into next season past the deadline or whatever, then maybe he becomes a trade asset and you can still kind of work that all around, knowing Kyle Lowry is still there as a piece to be with your team, whether it's next year or the year after, uh, or just next year or the year after as well. And in terms of like what you'd pay Kyle, I mean, I don't know. The 25 over two years, I think, has kind of been like the standard idea thrown, thrown around. 25 each. He's played the last yeah. couple of games, and the way he's played mostly this season warrants, you know, that's what he should be earning, probably. Um, do you have any sort of holdups when it comes to paying Kyle $25 million at age 35, 36? Or is it just the cost of doing business, and he, you think he'll get enough out of that contract, the value, even if he's not maybe surplus value? you think there'll be enough there that it's worth paying him that money to keep him around? Uh no, I don't. I don't have an issue with paying Kyle that much. I think again, it just comes down to evaluating what you want to do with the roster. And so, uh, yeah, Kyle is great to have around for as long as he wants to be around. But in terms of this core and getting them to the next level, at what point do you sort of, I guess, take the training wheels off? You know what I mean? And let them figure it out and try to mm-hmm. find that level themselves. Uh, Because, I guess I'll put it this way, if Kyle has two really good seasons in him left, right, and you're not going to, but you're not going to be a championship contender in those two years, are you better off than having the core really try to figure out that elite level of winning um, Mm -hmm. without him? And so, I I think that's a really difficult question to answer because... On the one side, you keep Kyle, and he's helping teach those guys how to do it. And on the other side, it's like, okay, well, sometimes, like Nick says, right, the best way for players to develop is to be out there on the court developing winning habits. And so Mm -hmm. is there a better way to develop those elite winning habits than actually having to figure it out on your own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll... uh... All good points. I think I'm still, I'm always going to be team bring Kyle back, I think, in this conversation over the next couple of months um, for the reasons I kind of laid out in the team building. For the record, I will never be against it. As much as I know he prioritizes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For the record, yeah, I mean, I I know you mentioned how he prioritizes winning and stuff like that, and I get that. But also I feel like there's less of an urgency for him to go and chase a title because he already has the one ring. And, you know, obviously you want more rings and all that, but... You know, if there's a vision in place for the Raptors here in the next couple of years to potentially pull some other sort of big star trade, which I still think it's lining up as that's going to be the way they get their next star in, 
um, you know, I think there's probably a way you could convince Kyle to stick around for two or three years and, and have him be part of that. And I think that would be very, very wonderful. And I'm just, you know, again, all of this also goes into my Miles Turner agenda, the Boucher hood and picks for Turner. Uh, it's still on the <laughs> table, baby. Uh, and I will continue to throw that out forever. And if you can get a Lowry, Fred, Siakam, OG, Turner with Trent and Flynn coming off the bench and Birch and all that, like... You're cooking with a, a really damn good roster at that point, even if it requires your first round pick. If you end up like 10th overall, and you want to trade that pick uh, to get somebody like a Turner or whatever that might be. I think that's a, that's a totally reasonable way to go. Uh, we've gone long here, but how could you not go long talking about Kyle Lowry? I don't know. He's amazing. And uh, I'll say it again, as I've said a lot recently, appreciate every single second he's playing because we don't know how much more we have of it left in Toronto. And you get games like last night where... He's the best player on the floor in a game that features Anthony Davis and LeBron James. <laughs> it's He can do that, and maybe the Lakers should have considered trading for him. I don't know. Uh, we'll continue on here in just a second with some more thoughts on the game from last night. We'll get into some jazz game thoughts from Friday, too, if we have any lingering around. I also want to just kind of get your thoughts on the Lakers in general, because they're obviously a team of note, and our focus will probably shift towards other teams going into the postseason a little bit here on the podcast. Obviously, to be Raptors heavy, but we'll have other teams that we'll get into as well and take a look around the league. But uh, before we get into any of that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Indeed. Perhaps you are the LA Lakers. You're looking for uh, some good players to play center. You know, Andre Drummond, not very good. Marcus Gasol, seems like he doesn't want to be here anymore. Uh, you've got Montrez Harrell, probably a power forward and is going to get t- torched by Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. The Lakers need centers, baby. They're like the new Raptors. Uh, and if they're looking for a center, they should go to Indeed to find one. It's the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three. Post screen and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests that you can put your applicants through, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applicants that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked l-o-c-k-e-d it is 75 dollar credit at indeed.com slash locked indeed.com slash locked offer valid through june 30th terms and conditions apply the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Big V, we continue on here. Uh, Let's dig into our other thoughts from the Raptors win over the Lakers. Lots of different ways we can go here. Pascal Siakam with 39, 13, 4, 2, and 2 on 15 of 26. Maybe his most complete performance of the season. Um, certainly worth remarking upon, even if the defense was butter that he was cutting through like a hot knife. Um, the bench was really good as well. DeAndre Bembry staking a claim once again to kind of sticking around beyond this season. Uh, any notes that you want to sort of dig in on here? There's lots from this game that we could certainly uh, spend some time on. Yeah, I think Pascal just... Talking about that in-between game and even a bit of that push shot, you know, one of the things Nick Nurse was talking about post-game was these last two games, you know, Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis aren't really the types of guys that you want to challenge at the rim. 
And so when you get into those comfort spots just outside the restricted area, those push shots, those floaters mm-hmm. become really important. And so uh, Pascal being able to go to that and then even knock down the mid-range jumper. I thought the mid-range jumper was huge. Um, and I think on the season, that's maybe one of the development points that maybe goes unnoticed that really deserves praise, right? And the, I'm looking at the numbers from last season. In the 10 to 16-foot range, he shot 32.9%. In the 16 feet to 3-point range, uh, like just inside the 3-point line, he shot 30%. This year, the 10 to 16-foot mm-hmm. range shot is up to 41%. So that's a 8% increase. And then the 16 to three point line is up to 42.7%. So that's almost a 13% increase. And so, you know, that, that accounts for about 15% of his shot spectrum. And as we know in mm-hmm. the postseason, when those three point looks get taken away, those shots at the rim get taken away, you have to be able to pull up and hit that. And that's something that Fred Van Vliet has worked on. And it's clearly something that Pascal has worked on. Yeah, he's better from 3 to 10, 10 to 16, and 16 to 3-point range pretty significantly this season. And it does kind of all lend credence to the idea that, you know, if he were shooting better than 30% on threes this season, we would be talking entirely differently about Pascal Siakam. And I think had he not, like, had four game winners Mm -hmm. pop out, um, like, the entire narrative of his season changes because he's literally improved... 90% 90% of the things he does on the floor. He's gotten better playmaking. He's become, uh, you know, one of the best isolation defenders in basketball. He is, you know, creating for others. Like, it's the finishing around the basket, all of it, it's all better. The only area where there's been a little bit of slippage is 0 to 3 feet, where he's gone from 70.3% to 693 a 1% drop-off, not a big deal. He's above 50% on twos uh, for the first time since 2018-19. Uh, it's just, he's kind of absorbing and learning how to operate in that number one usage role a lot more effectively. Does it still, you know, does it still leave room to be sort of improved upon? And are, are we thinking now, of course, oh, he's obviously number one option on a title team? No, obviously not. Like, there's still some limitations there, but the limitations are growing slimmer and slimmer. And if not for the start to the season, the bubble last year, and just sort of all the narrative elements around it and the three-point shooting, we're talking about Pascal Siakam in basically the exact same light as he was last year, where he was a second-team All-NBA player and was one of the great stories of the league, especially for the first half, where he was lighting everybody on fire and bombing pull-up threes in people's eyes and things like that. So, um, yeah, a wonderful night for Siakam. A couple rough games that he, that he kind of bounced back from. Not even rough, necessarily. just kind of low usage where you know other guys seem to kind of take up the mantle. Um, and, yeah, I, happy for him, and, and I'm happy to see that the improvement in a lot of different elements of the game continues to, can, uh, to carry on with him. It's uh, it's lovely to see, and I, I still think we're going to see a bounce back to three-point normalcy at some point next season, uh, considering he was 36 and 37% the two years prior. So not too worried about the, the outlier season here either. Um, man, Pascal, very good stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> other guys from the bench who performed well, uh, we should talk about DeAndre Bembry, I think. He's been kind of a forgotten man here recently. He was out of the rotation, you know, I think he looked really, really rough in March when they had no players available and he was thrust into this role where he had to be like the number one or two creative option in lineups and he's just not cut out for that. He's a connector. He's a number five guy. He's a great cutter. You know, he's going to move off the ball and sort of help others leverage their gravity. 
and he you know didn't have the chance to do that when he was playing as a number one or two in really depleted lineups. We saw last night, you know, even though it was a skeleton crew weirdo bench lineup, he was kind of operating as that sort of you know release valve as opposed to running the show with. Uh, you know, I, I guess it was a lot of Rodney Hood with the ball in his hands. It was very strange, those lineups. Malachi Flynn was running them, too. He looked pretty rough. Um, but Bembry kind of finding those seams, you know, attacking in transition, cutting with the sort of ferocity and, and accuracy that you want to see. A really nice performance from him, 14-8 and eight with three steals. Um, you know, I, I think he's kind of fallen out a little bit of favor and has maybe been trending towards the Ronda Hellas-Jefferson track of a nice one-year sort of stopgap guy, but not really part of the long-term plans here. I still hope they keep him just because I think he does work well as like a number five guy with good players and he just hasn't had enough of that opportunity to play this season because there have been no five good players in the lineup at any given time. Um, what say you to the idea of bringing Benbury back? Am I getting too hung up on a nice 14-8 and eight game after a rough stretch of play or do you kind of get where I'm coming from in terms of his opportunities lately not really being all that conducive to his success? No, I think you hit the nail on the head with you know his ability being accentuated when he's playing alongside the best players on the court, uh, on the Raptors. And so I feel like when you can put him in those positions, obviously Malachi struggled in this one, and so he took over a bit of the ball handling. Maybe that eased up Kyle's load a little bit. But, yeah, I think this is sort of where you want to see him fit in. You want to see him as that back end of the rotation guy that you can plug and play when you need him. Uh, inconsistency is always going to be an issue with people on the back end of the rotation. And I think that's just what it is. And so with uh, DeAndre Bembry, I think we all know what he brings to the table at this point of the season. He's got that uh, switchability uh, defensively. He makes smart decisions. Um, and then offensively, I think he could still do a bit more to just calm things down. I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it flash, but, I think he just he sees a play and then he just gets way too excited trying to make it and then you know it can get a, a bit erratic mm. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's something he could calm down on. It's like me when I see candy <laughs> and I want to eat the candy real fast and then I. There you go. Myself. That 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 is a perfect <laughs> analogy. But you know, in situations like this, I think it works where it's like okay, Kyle's got it going, Siakam's got it going. This is my job right here. Um, and yeah, that's when it works out. It's when you know you don't have uh, players around you that can accentuate your base skills. That's when he struggles. And so, as long as he's out there with other players that are going to do the heavy lifting, I think he works just fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bring him back. Bring them all back. They're not all of them. Stanley Johnson, I think we're good on. But uh, <laughs> other than that, bring them all back. What the hell? Um, we're going to continue on. we got some other stuff to get to. Uh, I kind of just want to sort of pull some more general takeaways from the weekend and the Jazz game and, and you know the play-in race, and we'll kind of run through some different little notes and observations to close things out here on your Monday. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at BuiltBar.com who are making the best-tasting protein bars in the world. You know about their 18 flavors and their standard amazing lineup. Also, the specialty flavors that'll pop up once in a while. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and they're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for keto diets as well 
And just to give you an idea of what these different flavors are cooking up in terms of their flavor profiles, they're they're all really, really good and healthy and and delicious and not going to hit you with sugar or carbs or anything like that. For example, cookies and cream, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. And I can tell you, it tastes like a candy bar, or as a a Canadian would say, a chocolate bar. Um, It tastes like that. It doesn't taste like gritty or sandy. You don't have to put it in the microwave to make it so it works on your palate. It's uh, just a good, delicious treat. And helps you kind of feel like you got the illusion of cheating without actually cheating. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That is the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. You've got baseball in full swing. Basketball and hockey playoffs are coming up as well. And there's lots of specialty sports action, including the Triple Crown. The Kentucky Derby went over the weekend. You've got the two more uh, legs of the Triple Crown, the Preakness and the Belmont, coming up as well in coming weeks. So make sure you're throwing your money down over there as the Triple Crown continues on. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit at the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the postseason. Head to the website or use your mobile device and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKED ON, all one word. That's betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. Now go bet on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Hitting more bombs because it's going to happen. I guarantee you. Go to betonline.ag and throw some money down. All right, Vivek, let's wrap this thing up with some observations from the weekend that was in the NBA, or at least for the Toronto Raptors. Um, any last thoughts on the Lakers game? I mean, like, again, I think the Lakers handed that game to the Raptors in a lot of ways because they played horribly mm-hmm. and like the possessions where Anthony Davis is supposed to be guarding a red hot Pascal Siakam and just realizing, oh, He's too far away from me. I'm just going to wave at him while he bombs a three in my eye. Um, you know, those were very common. And I think are part of the reason why the Raptors won that game. Um, but any sort of other thoughts about how the Raptors attacked the Lakers? Thoughts about the Lakers and how they look? They look pretty rough. Mark Gasol seems dejected. Um, hoping that the Raptors just, like, get Mark to join the team over the course of the next couple of days while they're hanging out in L.A. Where are you at with... Uh, the Lakers and more after last night. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that they won't use Marcus Hall. It makes no sense to me. Um, and so, whatever. Uh, I don't want to get into that. It's it's just, it's yeah, it's just a complete. The Drummond thing was a, a bad idea, fart, as far as I'm concerned. Um, in terms of the Lakers, I think LeBron obviously did not look like full LeBron uh, in that game, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, as the best player in the league, you want to see him have full health. The league is better when LeBron is LeBron. And so hopefully he can heal up and be at his A game or whatever his A game is at 36 years old, uh, which is still, you know, in my opinion, the best player in the game. Uh, Anthony Davis, he didn't look great either. Um, Pascal really seemed to enjoy that matchup. Uh, There seemed to be quite a bit of talking going on between those two as well. So that was fun to watch. And then I'll also shout out Freddie Gillespie because I thought Cambridge did struggle mm-hmm. a little bit with that matchup with Drummond, just the the overall size. And then he didn't really, you know, we mentioned that that shot sure. just outside the paint, those little floaters. Um, he didn't quite have it going like he did against Utah. Uh, and so I thought Freddie Gillespie came in and gave some good minutes and just used his size uh, really effectively. And especially that one uh 
you know, I don't, I, I don't think we can call it a baby hook because it was so far out. It was more like an adolescent hook. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I thought he provided some solid minutes uh, that were worth a shout out. Freddie Gillespie, master of the the moody teenager hook, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, I, I thought Gillespie was really great. You're right that like. Kem just kind of struggled with being smaller than Andre Drummond by a pretty significant degree. And Gillespie is just sort of, you know, he's thick, he's tall, he's long. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of watching Gillespie for the rest of the season, I really still have no idea sort of what to make of him as like as far as what his upside could be or skills that could be developed into something that could sort of change him from being a rim-protecting energy big into something a little bit more substantial. Um and it's weird because he has like this sort of awkward, weird gait. He t- he walks with incredible posture, which is bizarre. Um, you know, it's just he's a strange player to watch. <laughs> it's all good. Nothing's bad about it. But I'm curious in terms of watching him. Do you sort of notice anything? I mean, you mentioned the little teen hook, all that stuff. Um, do you notice any little things where it's like, oh yeah, he could sort of mind that, and then oh wow, maybe that sort of changes the game for him in terms of skills that you're watching him sort of work on for the rest of the season. I'll start with what Nick Nurse talked about post game, and that was to just be more patient on the roll. Uh, and you know, I, I think sometimes he catches it and he, he's a bit too rushed, or you know, he maybe makes that roll a little too soon. And you know, instead of staying parallel, I think that's something that he could improve. And then the other thing I would say that he could take a page out of Ken Birch's book from is just understanding when it's okay to just recycle the possession. And I think Kemberch does a really nice job of that where mm. he'll catch it on the roll and literally within a split second, it's like it's out of his hands and, uh, you know, it's back in the guard's hands to because he recognizes there's nothing really there. And so I think just keeping things in motion a bit better, I think that is like a small area of focus that he could – you know, that, that's not necessarily about his skill set, right? I think that's something that uh, is just something from watching film and just understanding where the possession is headed that he could really improve without really needing, you know, a whole offseason to, de- to develop a skill for. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think for me, it's just like, you were kind of talking about it, sort of presenting himself as a target on the roll, I think will be huge for him because he is a good screener and, you know, he kind of, in theory, should be a good target with those long arms. But he does sort of, you know, he doesn't really time the jumps for the lobs that, you know, Kyle might throw up as well as like a chem would, for mm-hmm. example. And he'll do the thing where he kind of catches it and brings it back down. And then all of a sudden he's got tens of limbs kind of slapping away at the ball and he can never really kind of bring it back up. So just sort of him being more vertical and sort of direct in the pick and roll as a dive man would be, I think, a, a super important thing for him to work on. And, you know, I, as far as the other stuff that you're hoping for bigs, like shooting and stuff, I feel like that's going to be sort of a, you know, work on it as you go type of thing. I don't see necessarily the profile of like a stretch big mm-hmm. right now, but um, if he can sort of work on that roll gravity and make it so he is catching and finishing up high, and he might not have the bounciness to really be that, I'm not sure, but... You got to see, and I, I just he has he just do a better job of presenting himself and not getting in the position where he catches the ball and he's having it slapped away because that happens a little too often. But all of the the good stuff is still very much there with Freddie Gillespie, and it's uh, nice to see him have a nice performance last night after maybe a few games where things weren't so hot for him. Um, 
Yeah, we should maybe touch on the Jazz game quickly here. I know we're kind of darting all over the place. It's kind of the name of the game after a two-game weekend and all that. <laughs> it's very busy and loaded. But, um, you know, the Jazz game, like I said, kind of the similar script that you expect from a Raptors game at this point against a good team. Obviously, they bucked that trend last night against the Lakers, but the previous three games, a lot of, you know, going through the motions in the fourth quarter after being excellent in the first three quarters, either taking a lead or being very close going into the fourth. Um, anything remarkable from that Jazz game that you want to take away? Or uh, it, it, was it just very much that, like the script that you kind of expected? I did feel it was, you know, maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity with no Mike Conley and no uh, Donovan Mitchell. I know Kyle wasn't playing, but uh, I felt like the way the Raptors were playing that game, that there was a game to be had. Obviously, the fourth quarter those struggles um i thought i thought they just got a little too iso and we've, we've seen that happen multiple times this season and you know with the vibes being good now that was a bit disappointing to see because they have trusted each other they have mm. um you know seen themselves play well together since the moves have been made so to go into it a, a little too iso i thought fred was trying to make a few too many things happen and you know th- he always hits that one three where it's like okay he's back but it's like no he's not really not um but <laughs> you know uh i think he did what he could I, I know he had a big night overall but uh 30 i mean 30 points no turnovers you can't complain about that but i thought his decision making again you know, in the fourth quarter specifically, could have been better. Yeah, well, that's totally fair. Uh, and, you know, I think probably some of that is the poor decision-making maybe comes down to fatigue. I don't know, not to keep throwing fatigue out there as an explanation, but it's a very valid one, I think, <laughs> right now, considering these guys are playing 40 goddamn minutes in every game, which is another sort of gripe I have. You know, what's the sort of direction here? Are you trying to win these games and if so why are you uh you know playing full bench lineups to start third and fourth right. quarters and begging to be slaughtered in those minutes like it's sort of mixed messaging is playing your best guys 40 plus minutes and then also putting the rest of your guys in a bad position to, to potentially succeed and you know weird sort of it's understandable i guess when you have four good players on a given night and you're trying to ride them as much as you can and i I don't need to relitigate this complaint because i had it last week but um that was really the sort of main note from that jazz game also rudy gobert is worse than ken birch sorry about it uh but it's the truth uh ken birch my god 17 10 and 6 that guy is uh getting himself paid i think (laughs) i was expecting minimum deal probably uh that is not going to be the case he's going to make aaron bun aaron bain's money or more i'm thinking at this point given how he's played. Uh, we can talk about Kemberch's offseason future on another episode, though. Um, that's going to do it for today's episode, I think, unless I've missed anything I was supposed to get to. Uh, again, very busy weekend, and hopefully we did it justice. Big V, any parting shots, or uh, do you just want to get the hell out of here and plug away? Um, no, no no real parting shots in this one. Just looking forward to uh, this Clippers game coming up, because obviously that's a, a nice reunion yeah. game, and hopefully... Uh, Gary Trent Jr. and everyone else will be healthy and it can be, uh, you know, hopefully another fun, exciting game. Yeah, and look, I know the chances right now of the play-in are limited. They're two and a half games back of the Wizards. Uh, but a win against the Clippers 
makes that Thursday game all kinds of intriguing against Washington, considering the Raptors do have the tiebreaker over them. So they're actually kind of like one and a half games back, not two and a half in sort of practicality of it all. And uh, the Wizards play Indiana tonight, so we'll pull for Indiana, and we'll we'll see sort of what the landscape looks like on Thursday. But there's still potential meaning to be put, sort of pulled from these games, even if the, it doesn't feel like it. With that one game against the Wizards, it does kind of change the complexion of this race. So uh, we'll, I'll at least hold out hope of a, a close play-in race until the end of Thursday, and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, anything you want to... Did you already plug your stuff? You didn't already. Where do you want to... Did you? Uh, to be, to be honest, I don't, I don't want to plug anything uh, for this one. I would just uh, encourage people, uh, if you aren't aware of what's happening in India right now, obviously... India will always be my first home. And it's just a really bad situation with Mm -hmm. the COVID crisis right now. Obviously, the world is suffering from it, but India in particular right now is just in a really, really bad state. And so if you can do anything to help, uh, I would encourage that. I have a tweet pinned to my profile on Twitter uh, where you can find me at Vivek M. Jacob with links to donate to if you're looking for a tax receipt within Canada. And then there's a Google Doc for... Uh, local efforts where you can send money directly to India, but obviously there there wouldn't be a tax receipt involved in that. So yeah, that's all I will plug for today. Appreciate that, man. Um, I'll put the links uh, that you speak of in the description for the podcast as well. Um, I'll make a donation on behalf of the podcast if anyone's able to as well. That would be uh, very much appreciated and anything helps right now. Um, so thanks for bringing that up. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. I'll be back again tomorrow, still sort of figuring out what the plan for tomorrow's show is going to be. Wednesday, we'll be breaking down the game against the Clippers, of course. Javon Shepard is going to come on on uh, Thursday night, uh, so for Friday morning, to talk about the Wizards game coming up later this hey, week. Hey, that's too. my teammate. We'll sprinkle in some fun stuff. Yeah, it is. We've got North Court's heavy this week. Uh, <laughs> Megan McPeak might be too famous for me to, to, to come on the pod, but that's fine. Um, but either way, yeah, uh, that'll be on Thursday night after the pod, after the Wizards game. So that's part of the plan this week. We'll have other stuff. Mailbag probably in there as well. We've got a locker room taken care of at some point this week too. And I uh, appreciate you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.